Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Want to get a little more from every sip? Smartwater Alkaline doesn't just taste crisp and pure. It's loaded with everything you need to perform at your best, whether you're running marathons or boardroom meetings. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. And away we go. It's another edition of the Arrowhead Pride Editor Show. My name is Pete Sweeney. I'm the editor-in-chief of ArrowheadPride.com, joined once again by my esteemed deputy editor, John Dixon. John, how are we feeling? Five games to go, fourth in the AFC, first in the AFC West. What are your thoughts? Well, uh, nobody expected this uh, about seven weeks ago, whenever it was, (laughs) or five weeks ago. Um, and, uh, it's great to be in this spot, you yeah. know, when everybody had pretty much given up on the season. Well, not everybody, I guess, but a lot of people, uh, had given up on the season. So this is, this is a terrific feeling right now. You know, that, that day when you wake up and daylight savings is over <laughs> and I, and, and you're like, wow, it really should feel like an hour later. I'm in that mood right now where I feel like there should be four games left. And you're like, we have another game to, to do because it's the first time uh, there will be 17 games and this will go to the second week of January. It's going to feel weird. I think once we get to the end of December, we still have two games to go. The chiefs yeah. will definitely be playing two games of January football, whether or not they are relevant <laughs> uh, more more than that remains to be seen. This is, of course is the arrowhead pride editor show. We're going to go through your news Andy Reid spoke to the media on Monday, and so we'll take away anything we can from that. In our final segment, we'll give our marinated takeaways from the Chiefs and the Broncos and the best Chiefs thing we heard all week. As we have been doing, we encourage you to go to Apple iTunes, leave a rating and a review. Five stars is preferable. If you leave a review, we will read it on the podcast, and we got a new one. Uh, this week, I believe his name is Lucas. I, I think he puts his last name first in the username. And here we go. Love the daily content. We love to hear that. To be honest, this podcast dramatically improved when the three teenagers, I know they're not, but they sure sound like it. Come on. Let's let's show a little bit of respect oh, here. Come on. We don't, we don't have to go there. <laughs> goodness uh, Pete gracious. Is the, we don't, Pete is the most respected voice in the Chiefs industry, in my opinion. Thank you, but that's not true. I'd probably go to Sam Melliger or, or Mitch Holtis or something. Stop that. His show is a must listen. So, John, you're, you're lumped into that, too. Show and BK is a great addition. The Out of Structure show could use some more expertise, but has slowly been improving. Okay, the, the guys are doing a great job. What is it? I mean, what is all what these is backhanded that? compliments on this, <laughs> on this review? Uh, have not given the British show a listen yet, so he's not even listened to our friends across the pond solely because AP puts out so much content. Shout out to Steve. Thank you. P.S. Pete's voice fluctuates during the editor show. So a lot of compliments with a lot of constructive criticism. <laughs> but I made a promise. No matter what you write, I will yeah. read it. I will read it here. Yeah. So thank you, I guess, to uh, that review. If you leave a rating and a review, we will read it on the editor's show. Well, maybe right. he meant to say that you were the coldest voice uh, for the I Chiefs. Mean, after after being on the, the desk after the game without your coat on. I will say that review had a lot of peaks and valleys. So we'll just leave, <laughs> it, leave it there. All right. Let's get into the, the news here. 
We got some news this morning, actually, uh, on Tuesday. It's a it's a weird time in the week for news. Sometimes we have some stuff to talk about. Other times we don't. But Tyron Matthew has been named the Chiefs Man of the Year nominee for the Walter Payton NFL Man of the Year Award. And I think it's well-deserving. What's cool, I think, about Tyron Matthew is he comes from Louisiana. He has played in Arizona and Houston and Kansas City. And he's always consistently trying to help the New Orleans area, but he also tries to get involved in the community where he is currently at, where he's currently living. And so we've seen some involvement in the Kansas City community, and we all know about Tyron's background coming out of LSU. Let's talk about peaks and valleys. This is somebody who had a lot of those and has really, I think, shined through a lot of Chiefs fans, and I would say the majority of Chiefs fans, want to see him back. He's on the final year of his contract, but just a tremendous honor to be just nominated for the NFL Man of the Year. Well, you, you make a great point. You know, he's never forgotten his roots. He's continued uh, to do community outreach in both New Orleans and um, and in places he's been before. And then when he comes to Kansas City, he continues to do those things here. So it's a well-deserved re- re- award for um, for Matthew, providing, of course, he wins it. But as, as they say at the Oscars, it's an honor just to be nominated. So uh, he certainly deserves this, uh, I think, and, uh, and and more more power to him. Yeah, and there is this PSA. They have this charity challenge. It's their seventh year doing it. It is the fan voting aspect to the man of the year. So you need a Twitter account to get involved in this. Uh, but this is the Walter Payton Man of the Year Challenge nationwide is the sponsor here. Whoever gets the most Twitter votes will receive an extra $25,000 to a charity of their choice. I'm, I'm assuming Tyron will have it go to right to the Tyron Matthew Foundation, which does a lot of work, again, in Kansas City and New Orleans. You have to hashtag WPMOY challenge and then use Matthew's last name or his Twitter handle, which I believe is Matthew Era. So I, I have the more information on my personal and a Twitter account. You can get it on Arrowhead Pride, also the Arrowhead Pride Twitter account. As a reminder, Travis Kelsey took this home last year. Kansas City really likes to get involved in, in these voting things, which I'm sure the players love. Eric Berry was another one. I remember there was a gigantic push uh, for Eric Berry to get this yeah. when he mm-hmm. was up for it. And it, it was an overnight thing. I think Eric Berry, if I remember remembering correctly, Eric Berry was trailing in this thing. And then Kansas City went wild, as it does sometimes, and Barry ended up getting the honor and the $25,000 that went along with it. Kelsey took it home last year. So why don't you make it a two-peat, right? You can get involved here. Again, the information at airheadpride.com. If you're wondering, they announce the NFL Man of the Year during the NFL Honors the Thursday before the Super Bowl. So that is when – Super Bowl 66. So that is when you'll be able to see if – Tyron Matthew gets there. I believe what they do, John, if I'm not mistaken, and we'll see if they continue this. They have three finalists by this time, I believe. It's three to five finalists. That uh, sounds narrow, right, yeah. Mm-hmm. They narrow it down, so we'll know. But but Super Bowl 66 doesn't sound right. That's what you said. It's 56. Yeah, you said 66. Oh my God. See, this is a cold I'm dealing with. It's got me a decade later. Forget about daylight savings. We're an hour later. I am a decade from now. I'm feeling a lot older all of a sudden. Okay. All right. So there's Tyron Matthew. We wish him a lot of luck in that. Get involved on Twitter. Again, all the information is out there. All right. Let's get into these uh, snap counts, John. You got through them this morning, which was awesome. Uh, I know that you were probably cranking the numbers early today. So what were some of your takeaways from what was a Chiefs interesting, unique 
looking 22 to nine victory over the Denver Broncos. Yeah, it was, uh, it was different in a couple of different ways. Of course, uh, we were surprised uh, that DeAndre Baker um, was in the game. Well, I guess it wasn't a surprise with Fenton out. They probably needed to bring in another reserve player, but I think it would have been fair for most people to think that Mike Hughes would be getting the snaps for Rashad Fenton um, in this game. And that's not the way it played out. DeAndre Baker uh, pretty much took over Fenton's role um, in the defense and did fine. Uh, And this is a guy who's been inactive for five straight weeks. So that was a a nice thing to see, Uh, you know, a guy who hasn't really gotten much opportunity to play with the chiefs this year, uh, came out and did a good job in relief of Rashad Fenton. And, and, you know, that was considered to be one of the problems going into this game was that the Broncos might be able to uh, get some traction on the Chiefs secondary without Fenton in there. And the fact that they didn't uh, speaks a lot towards Baker, in my view. So that was a big surprise. The other one um, has been a long time coming, um, and that's Byron Pringle, almost wide receiver two for the Chiefs. I mean, his snaps are around 75%. That's not quite the stamp the snaps you'd get for a starter. Um, but his snap counts have continued to rise over the course of the season. And now they're up to a point where if you're going to name a guy to be the Chiefs' second wide receiver, he's it. And he did this at the expense of Josh Gordon, whose snaps plummeted Mm -hmm. uh, as low as they've been since the Tennessee game, I think it was. Um, And he was still listed as a starter in this game and then didn't play all that much. Um, And I don't think he was targeted or caught a pass or anything in this game. So I don't know. Maybe that deal is over. Could be. Yeah. So I've, I have some takeaways on, on both of these things. So Andy Reed, I have noticed and by extension, Steve Spagnolo, which to me is, is why he's here as the quote unquote defensive head coach. They're going to stick with their plan that they had at the beginning of the year. They're not going to let a few games change their ways. Now, we as fans, we have a- as analysts want the story, right? We're more apt right. to the story. It's more, it's cooler yeah. for Juan Thornhill to replace Daniel Sorensen after, let's say, two games, and we could write that up, and we see it, right? We see it in the film. It's time then for them to take what was right five or six games. And mm-hmm. say, okay, finally, yeah. all right. It, it's not just this outlier. Sorensen's struggling. We're gonna we're gonna put him in. Now, to me, you look at DeAndre Baker. This is someone that we've known the Chiefs have been high on. I, I was even saying before the injury that he maybe would have gotten involved in, in postseason because I, I've gone to this before. Talking with Sam Madison last year about Baker, Baker was performing well before, again, before that week 17 injury. He was performing well uh, against what was the top receivers in, in practice and the top receivers equal a Travis Kelsey or a Tyree Kill, who we know are among the better players in the league. So Baker it's taken a while. It seemed like for him to get his feet back under him from his injury, the chief didn't make a big deal about this injury. I I think I tend to think that they thought Baker would come along faster from the way that they were talking. Remember how often they were saying it was a clean break, which is a good thing. Right. They did. He'll be Mm -hmm. fine. And I just don't think that that was the case. I don't think they were lying or anything. I just think that they were assuming, okay, because it's a fracture, he'll be able to just get right back in the mix. But it seemed like there was a, a, a growth here that had to happen. And he's been at, an active for 
most of the year. So he gets this opportunity here. I think Baker is a better option than Mike Hughes in the secondary. But in that same vein, like I think Mike Hughes, and I felt this in the preseason, is a better option than McCole Hardman is as a punt returner. It, it just seems like there's a different air, a different confidence about him. But back to Baker for a second. In the PFF grade, so the grade that he had in coverage is, it looks like slightly uh, above average. I like to go more so I- even in PFF to the, the, the coverage numbers because it's harder to have a subjective uh, part of, of that. So he was targeted five times in this game. The opposing team caught three balls for 21 yards, a pass rating of 69-6. So that's pretty good. And, you know, you think about the offensive line and all the problems the Chiefs had had with the depth last year. Having this fourth cornerback that got some real game experience under him, especially against a really good receiving core. I say what you want about Teddy Bridgewater. These are pretty good receivers to allow three yeah. catches, whatever. But you know what? 21 yards. The passer rating is good. You have to like that from Baker as now a fourth cornerback. And, you know, hopefully Rashad Fenton, who has had an outstanding PFF grade this year, can get back in the mix. But I think you feel good about Baker being this fourth guy, because as we've seen, like Legarius Sneed has had injuries in the past. Sharvey Arias Ward mm-hmm. has had injuries in the past. You get down to the stretch. You always need that extra guy. Yeah, you have to wonder uh, how much things would have played out more uh, differently if uh, Baker hadn't been hurt in that week 17 game last year. And not only was he uninjured to start this season, but they might've gotten a chance to look at him some in the postseason against the top competition. Chiefs even make that trade for Hughes in that case. We don't even know. Yeah. Yeah. That's a fair question. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then you said the Byron Pringle thing. And to me, that's another thing that goes back to like the coaching staff. They have an idea. They they think it could be maybe a D-Rob. They draft a Cornell Powell. They bring in Josh Gordon. For a long time, we have said it would be nice to see Byron Pringle get more mm-hmm. opportunities. <laughs> and then he gets thrown into this mix here. And there was a little bit of a, a drop trend. And and he, he hadn't really shown it in games, which I think is why fans and, and analysts were clamoring to see more of Pringle. Maybe there was some of that in practice that we just simply didn't see. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's yeah. why they were a little bit hesitant. But that seems to be over now. They are throwing him into the fire. And I, I believe, John, in your snap counts, right, Gordon and now Hardman off in the offense are, are suffering playing time-wise because of it. Right. Yeah, Hardman uh, had a season low against Dallas and then maintained that same uh, usage percentage in the Broncos game. So that's not a good sign for him. But, you know, I think that the thing that's most interesting about Hardman to me is that this has taken a long time. If you look at the chart of Hardman's snap counts, it's been a steady increase uh, over the course of the season. And that carries more weight than suddenly getting a a lot of snap counts in a particular game. You know, when you see that, that steady rise or steady decline, that tends to be something you should pay attention to. And I, I think that this has shown that as they've continued to give him more work, uh, they've felt good about the fact that he had that work and continued to give him more work. And, uh, and at the end of it, uh, you know, he's essentially the Chiefs' second wide receiver at this point. You know, I don't know if he's going to get any more snaps than he has been. I think they like to bring in some of these other guys, but, um, He's as close to it as we're going to get, I think, in 2021. 
We're going to get to some more Andy Reid after the break. We'll dive into his Monday press conference. But, Steve, I'm going to use right now to play the sound on Reid on McCole Hardman and what he said from the press conference right now. Here is Reid on Hardman. Yeah, you know, Herbie, sometimes it works out that way. You know, we still have a lot of trust in McCole and, you know, I, and other weeks it'll be higher. I just It's the way it worked out. I mean, sometimes those things happen. So to me, and I wanted to play it there because it was most relevant as we're talking about Hardman. To me, this was just Andy Reid not wanting to get in the weeds of what is a, a personnel decision. And, no, and I, no. I, really? <laughs> is it just the way it worked out? He still has the trust. He doesn't have the trust. And you know, you're going to have a player entering the fourth year of his contract. To me, this is... This is turning into what is going to be an off-season float Hardman's name out there of a team mm-hmm. trying to bet on the final year of his deal, and you get a fifth-rounder out of it, and you get another, in a sense, a lottery ticket, third-round draft pick. Remember, those have turned into Legereus Need and Trey Smith these these past two years. Those are, are picks that you really trust Brett Veach with. For all the, the decisions that Brett Veach makes, and he is constantly – I guess, graded and analyzed. And is he making the right, right calls? He tends to really nail the end of the roster and that those, those day three picks that could turn into something. So if you can convince a team to buy in on a guy that is getting 10 snaps now for you and get you a fifth rounder, get another dart right at this point, right? Who knows? Maybe, maybe it could be higher than that. I tend to think, no, you don't want to necessarily flip a second rounder for a fifth rounder, but I don't know. I, I think we've gotten to the point in Brett Beach's tenure where he cuts his losses. I, I think he has yeah. the trust of the organization and the fan base to this point, to an extent. I, I don't want to say complete fan base because I do hear sometimes yeah. some complaints right. about Brett Beach, but I, I, I think Hardman is suddenly this trade candidate. And if you could convince a team to, to say, look, there were a lot of receivers in Kansas city. He's going to be our true number two. Let's see what he can do in that role. Change of scenery and Kansas city will get a pick out of it. What do you think about that, John? I I think that's a a reasonable take on the situation. Um, I I could see that happening. Um, Whether or not you could find a team that would give that much for Hardman is another question. It's crazy. And I agree. I tend to agree with you. And that's crazy that we're here where you're wondering Mm -hmm. If a yeah. team would get a fifth for Hardman, and I think that's reasonable. It's, it's, it's tough, and and I like, I like Hardman. I think there are sometimes with when he has the ball in his hands, you, you do say to yourself, yeah. "Why is he not getting the ball more?" And so maybe you splice that film together. You you know you ship it to Jacksonville and say, "Hey, how do you guys feel about this guy?" <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> You wonder if if they can make a deal, but we'll see. I'll be on the well, team. Well, sometimes you know, sometimes a change of se- a scenery matters. You know, he could end up with a different receivers coach that he yeah. meshes with better or something. And I'm not saying he doesn't mesh well with the with the Chiefs coaches. I'm just now, saying that sometimes you get in a better situation for your own te- personal. I have a team thing, in mind, you know? and and the Chiefs would never make this deal, at least in my opinion. But freaking Las Vegas, let's say that. Hardman had an expiring contract right now. Mm-hmm. They need that right now. That that rug situation, yeah. terrible off the field. It's had on the field repercussions for their offense stretching. And Hardman would fit. It would almost be a one for one, in my opinion, of exactly kind of what Rugs was. But he's got another year in his contract. The Chiefs will never trade him to Vegas. Well, if Al Davis was still alive, 
uh, that would be a slam dunk because of Hardman's speed. You know, he always loved getting those right. fast guys uh, on the Oakland offense. So uh, back when it was the Oakland offense, uh, but I don't know if I don't know if Mike Mayock feels that way or not. But yeah, that would have been a total Al Davis move is to get McCole Hardman from the Chiefs. <laughs> New Orleans to me yeah. is another is another team yeah, that, that's worth watching in yeah. the NFC. That that seems more likely. I want to talk quickly about this Monday Night Football game before we take a quick break. I don't know if you saw any of this, John, but it was wild last night. The winds were 45 to 55 miles an hour. You could only kick one way in this game. So New England goes into Buffalo, and rather than rather than playing into the wind and risking their rookie quarterback, who has been good, he has not been great, he has been yeah. good this year, throw into the wind – they decide to throw it three times total. Mac Jones, the winning quarterback in this game, 14 to 10 Patriots, two of three for 19 yards. They end up running it with the running back Harris, 10 for 111 and a touchdown. You're like 10 for 111. Why was he out? He got injured in the middle of the game. So they turned to their other back Stevenson. He ran a 24 uh, for 78. What stood out about this to me was the New England offensive line. Because it, it, it's rare where you have a team that is basically telling you exactly what they're going to do. Because eventually Buffalo got to a point when they, they said, okay, New England is just running power, you know, power football, a lot of dives, and we cannot do anything to stop this. And I was watching this game, and the question that I came up with, because um, uh, Buffalo couldn't, couldn't figure out how to get the ball in the end zone. They end up having, having to throw it at the end of the game. And Josh Allen was overwhelmed by this defense. And I, I, I said, throw Kansas City in instead of Buffalo. Are the Chiefs winning this game? And I know you're going to want an answer here, but my answer is I have no idea. I tend to, to favor no, because I just think New England really shell-shocked Buffalo with their, their game plan. I know that Kansas City has been good against running backs and a little bit worse about quarterbacks being able to, to rush the football. But I, I'm not sure. It, it, it seemed like New England went heavy with their game plan. Their defense is good. And previous years, Mahomes, I'm like, okay, Kansas City gets to 24-14. But the way that they're playing, the way they're winning games right now, I don't know if they beat New England in these conditions. I know I'm, we're, we're talking about a super hypothetical here. But, John, yeah. let's, let's assume the Chiefs and Patriots were in this type of wind game at Arrowhead with the wind swirling and, and let's throw it in an arrowhead. Do you think the chiefs would be able to beat new England in, in this scenario? Well, I think any chiefs matchup with new England this year will be very interesting anyway. Right. But in this particular instance, if the chiefs were forced to run because the other team is running and because yeah. Uh, Patrick Mahomes is already having enough trouble with accuracy at this point and receivers making drops. Uh, would they have much choice except to run the ball in those kinds of weather conditions? Well, I it seemed like Buffalo so. wanted to run not as much as new England did, but early in the yeah. game, it seemed like Buffalo wanted to run to kind of match what new England was doing, mm -hmm. but also because, you know, I, I think Allen was a little erratic and, and you could actually see what was wild is when, there was, this, there was this ball to Stefan Diggs late in the game where the ball just it tailed in the wind and he was trying to lead him and he, you almost get, there was a lack of feel for it. And so I think the, that Kansas City would have to run. And I, I just don't know. I, I mean, I, 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 I just don't know if they'd be able to stick with New England. 
Yeah, but I think that what I think what I would find interesting about that is the Chiefs could see what they could do if they put that much emphasis on running the ball. Right. And I, you know, like a, Andy Reid is like just an not going to accidental laboratory yeah. that they need. Almost. Yeah. 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 Force if put in a situation where he's forced to depend on the run, not just, you know, use it in specific, you know, to in the second half or whatever, but forced to depend on it. I mean, this offensive line should be really good for the running game. Certainly better than ones that we've had in previous years. And so I think it'd be real interesting to see what happened if the Chiefs were forced into running the ball. Now, I would like to say that teams have not tended to be successful against the Chiefs when they run the ball. We'll get to that a little bit later in the show. So you have to factor that into it as well. But you have to count on on Patrick Mahomes being on the other side of the ball. And if it's, you know, 50 mile an hour wind gusts, I don't know if that's true. That last point here. I, I don't know if the Chiefs win this game against the Patriots in this type of scenario, but man, I was watching Josh Allen last night. Patrick Mahomes would have given the Chiefs a better chance than Allen gave the Bills. Josh Allen should never be compared to Patrick Mahomes. I know that that had been a thing going into the previous two years, and it, it's it is not close. I'm telling you, I, I spend time with Mahomes every week. I've you know I've gotten a, a number of opportunities to watch him. Mahomes would have put the team in a better position. There was a, a chance for Allen he had late in the game where Cole Beasley was right in front of him, wide open. If opposing teams left the middle open like they did for Josh Allen last night, and and he had, I, I guess, the equivalent for the Chiefs of, of Cole Beasley right now might be Pringle, and he was right in front. Mahomes would put it on the Saints. Now, I don't know if Pringle would catch it after what we saw last game, <laughs> but enough yeah. of this. Allen it, it can even sniff. Mahomes. It's not even close. All right, let's get to our break. And then when we come back, we'll go through Andy Reid's Monday afternoon press conference. You're listening to the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Back here on the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show, Pete Sweeney, John Dixon. The Chiefs are eight and four, first place in the AFC West, fourth place in the conference. They're still working on potentially a first round bye. Got to win every week. Andy Reid knows that. He met with the media Monday afternoon to discuss all things Chiefs. We heard about the Hardman comment before. There was another comment about another player, Kyle Long, activated to the roster last week, but inactive on game day. Here is what Chiefs head coach Andy Reid said about Kyle Long. Yeah, he's getting there. He's he's kind of right right on that border of being there. Um, I just think, you know, let, we'll see how he does this week. Um, uh, you know, just for him to be back out doing what he's doing, Nate, I think is a, is a big thing. So, and I try to keep a close eye on him when, when he's working either with the scout team or working in with the offense. So from the sound of that, John, it, it, it sounds like the Chiefs are are – essentially saying that Long is still not exactly where they need him to be. With that being said, I, I, I know we were curious if Long may be a, a replacement candidate for what would be Andrew Wiley. 
I think he I think he's just going to be almost this swing interior, if not a direct injury replacement for a Trey Smith. If something happens, I, I'm, I'm not sensing that they're going to move him outside anymore. I, I think that might have been a pipe dream. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, I think the, the Chiefs have been comfortable with the situation because it allows them to take their time getting him developed into the player that they want him to be in the position right. that they want him to be in and have him there in the postseason. I mean, this is the, this is the nightmare scenario that we had last season Yeah, that you have a significant player. Who's uh, been a big contributor on the offensive line. who goes down in the postseason, and there's nobody really good to take his place. And mm-hmm. I think it's fair to think that uh, Kyle long is the break glass in case of emergency for the offensive line. And it's not really such a bad thing that they've had him on this injury situation for the first part of the season. And my, he'll be an unknown quantity when he comes out there. If he, if he should too, come in for injury with long as they probably were looking at long and saying, well, we have LDT here. We don't need both because both guys are, are literally yeah. just right guard replacements. You don't need two right guard replacements no. on a team. And so Gave LDT a chance to go to New York. They ended up getting a tight end back, who I believe is now back on the Jets because the Chiefs ended up waiting yeah. him. He's back on their practice squad. So he really ended yeah. up just being a salary cap shedding type of, of move, I, I, I believe, because you already had long under contract. Again, you don't need two right guard replacements. So I, I think that's where um, you know long is going to fit in. They actually have a left guard replacement. I think they'd probably be more comfortable if, let's say, Tooney, went down i i bet you that's allegretti's job i don't yeah i don't think it's it's long going on both sides so i literally a one for one thing which isn't a bad thing because look no further than last year right i think chiefs fans should mm-hmm. feel more comfortable with the offensive line you, you're not going to get to an afc title game where a guard goes down and you're on your 10th guy it's just going to be his automatic replacement which is a good role and an important one i it, it seems like the chiefs do have an offensive line injury toward the end of the year at least one the past few years, right? You think of the Wisniewski situation in uh, what was the Super Bowl championship year. So good to have, I think, a, a replacement there. Yeah, I'd agree. And, I, and I, I'm a lot more comfortable about where the Chiefs are in terms of injuries on the offensive line than I was last season. I mean, at this point last season, we had, what, uh, three of the five uh, were backup players, right? I'd have to think, I'd have to go back and, and look at yeah. this, but... It was bad, even by this point last year. And we've only got one guy who wasn't the week one starter uh, on the offensive line right now. So as long as they can get through the next four or five weeks without significant injuries, that's not going to be a problem in the postseason. And if it turns up, they've got the guys to do it. I think you're exactly right. I think that Long is the guy that they bring in at right guard. I think Allegretti comes in at left guard. He's been getting a few snaps as a sixth offensive lineman and working on special teams. I think they like him a lot, and I think he would be the guy to come in at left. Uh, and then you've got uh, Prince Tega Wanogo, um, yeah. who's the the remaining tackle, the, yeah. the remaining tackle uh, reserve player, who uh, who was has been active the last few games, but uh, but didn't play on sun on uh, Sunday night's game. Wanogo likely the swing tackle right now. Lucas Niang yeah. should be back in the mix. We would guess the Chiefs tried to get him back in on Wednesday. To me what the injury report depicted was that Niang was feeling too much pain to continue. So I bet you they tried again. It's a ribs, yeah. ribs stuff. 
And it, it's worth the question because Andrew Wiley has been doing a, a good job. The coaching staff has been vocal about that. Would Wiley come out if Niang was ready? I, I'm not sure. We have seen, especially at the offensive line positions, that Andy Reid tends to roll with what's working. Reminds me of like mm-hmm. a goaltender in hockey. They'll, they're not going to go away from the <laughs> goaltender that just ripped off five wins in a row. So we'll see. Again, we have well, long in well, the you- next. You mentioned Wisniewski, and that that happened in that situation where they they brought in Wisniewski, Wiley was and healthy. left him in, and left him in there. Yeah, right, uh, right. Austin Blythe is also on this team, and then you have Mike Remmers. So, you know what? This is a deep room, uh, a deeper room than the Chiefs had last year, and that to me is intentional. I'm looking at the practice squad here. I should mention uh, Daryl Williams is also hanging around there too. So. It's, you're feeling pretty good, I, I think, about your depth. All right, enough on offensive line depth. But you know what? It is relevant. So we spent a lot of time on it. There you go. That's yeah. the offensive line. Uh, the opening script. These past couple games, especially the last two, the Chiefs have scored points early in the game with Andy Reid's 15-play opening script. If you're unfamiliar with this really quickly, Andy Reid, Eric Bieniemy, the offensive staff, they settle on 15-ish plays each and every week where you don't go away from the script early in the game. We've talked about it a little bit here in, in previous episodes. That's why maybe you've seen the, the team a bit more balanced run pass wise early and then yeah, get a little pass happy then typically. But here was Andy Reid on making sure that the success continues after that script. You'd like to be able to do that. So that's what we're working through. Um, it's one of those things, you know, we're, we're not perfect. Uh, we're striving for that. And we want to make sure that uh, we work through all that and just keep, keep ourselves a little bit more consistent in that area. But right now it's, it's been the well last night it was drops and penalties that, that are drive stoppers and so we've got to make sure that we get rid of those and put you in a better position or you know earlier it was turnovers so you know, make sure we don't do that so he highlights here the drops and the penalties and I think that's a big part of it, too, because as soon as the offense begins to get into a little bit of a rhythm here, John, it is seeming like those are the times when you see Byron Pringle drop the football, Tyree Kill pop it in the air for an interception, his third of, of the year uh, doing that, or a penalty, an offensive line penalty, one where Trey Smith decides to yell at the referee. And there's just been such a lack of the offense being able to get into a groove and that's killing them. Like, like football to me is such a flow game, and the Chiefs have not been able to get into a flow offensively seemingly all year. Yeah, I, I don't know how I feel about this. You know, to me, this is this goes back to one of my pet peeves that fans tend to think it's all about the play calling. And the play calling is certainly part of the of the of the issue uh, if you're having problems on offense, but it's not the most important part of it. Um, and I, so I'm a little, I'm not sure how much attention we should be paying to this, that it's more about, I mean, the whole reason they do the 15 play script is to see how defenses will react to specific offensive formations. And then the idea is that with that information, they can adjust things during the course of the game and make play calls based on what they saw during those first 15 plays. I mean, they're not chosen because they're going to go out. They think that that's going to be the effective way to get points. They're chosen specifically so that they can make, you know, move the ball, but also learn something about what the defense is going to do. And so I think a better question is, are the chiefs not learning from those 15 plays 
the things that they need to learn for the rest of the game. Yeah, I so, agree. In this, I, I mean, I agree in, in a sense, and I, I disagree in that. I think the reason they're scoring is because they're having a week to see which players to attack on the defense. So I, I think it's a little bit of both. I think it's, I think it's yeah. intentionally going after, all right, let's exploit this and score early. But also, you're right. Is it working? Do we stick with it? Do we stick with those mm-hmm. concepts? And <clears throat> they're not garnering the proper information. And I, I, I do think it, it, it is a balanced thing. And I, I've seen this out there, and I'm not sure exactly where it's coming from. I know that a lot of, of folks are, are thinking that Eric Bieniemy is like half the time calling plays and sometimes yeah. it's read. Based upon what I know about the organization and, and folks I talk to, this is an Andy Reid calling operation. I'm not saying that Eric Bieniemy isn't involved, he isn't right. providing suggestions, isn't working with Andy Reid between defensive stands where the defense is out there and they're talking it over. But Andy Reid, to me, is making the ultimate decision. I'm not saying that Eric Bieniemy called no plays this year, but just in my experience covering Reid, to think that it's anything less than, let's say, generously 90 percent is (laughs) is crazy i i would be i would be shocked if if it came out later after the year that eric bianami was calling even like 30 percent of the plays like that that to me so just because i think andy reed believes in in his own experience and and i think he believes in his own concept planning like he's the one who pours into this stuff each and every week um the one thing that would maybe give me pause there if i'm trying to think of exceptions is it is if there might have been like a health thing you know forget randomly Mm -hmm. during the middle of the year into the hospital if there was something there okay maybe that changes things but if if it's up to reed he's going to be calling the plays we talked about defense let's switch it to the other side i thought andy reed had some interesting comments on both melvin ingram which was my question of monday and then uh, Chris Jones, let's go to Reed's words on Ingram first. Yeah, no, he's been a positive, positive influence um, for the defense. I, I think Pete probably the, the thing was getting everybody back healthy corners, D line, linebackers. You know, we, we had pieces missing, it seemed like every week. Uh, and, um, you know, the, and then some of the younger kids are getting more experience and, and playing better. So, I think it's a culmination of all of that, <clears throat> but I, I don't want to slight Melvin um, when you had a, a pro bowl player in there. I mean, that's, that's going to help you. And, and then he's got a good attitude. So, and he's a good leader. It's very smart. Um, so it's been a welcome addition. I, you know, the credit goes to Brett Beach on that for sure. And the job that he did getting him there. And then here were Reed's comments on Chris Jones and the fact that he's, Shown a knack recently for batting balls down. He batted down two Teddy Bridgewater balls in the win against the Broncos. Here is Reed's comments on Jones. Yeah, well, first of all, he's long. I mean, he's tall and long, and so he, he gets his hands on a lot of balls. The other thing is he's got great get off, and and so he uh, he he studied. You know, we all see this happy go lucky kid that is out there, but he does study his tail off and <clears throat> make sure that he knows what the offensive linemen are doing and and how they react to certain things. So um, he's done a nice job with that. So I think Reed's just happy right now with his defensive line as a whole. My question about Ingram was, was more so, you know, was this a grand impact? Probably a silly question. You know, I just talked about my experience in the beat. Reed is never going to credit just one player, but it's undeniable. I think what he's meant to this defense and, and just injecting him, it's completely changed the game for the chiefs defense, in my opinion. 
and really the team as a whole, because the offense has not shown a, a, a ability to be dynamic each and every week. And so this has become these recent weeks, a defensive team. And it starts with Ingram bumping Chris Jones to that opposite split. The rest of the D line, I, I think playing better because of it. Jaron Reed has finally appeared. He, he felt like he was invisible mm-hmm. while other guys were injured and, and he's making an impact. Now a healthy Frank Clark is certainly part of that, but it all starts with Ingram. And I, I think the chiefs got such a boost from Ingram. Again, it isn't just because of him, but I just feel like it's, it's been an undeniable part of the turnaround. Well, and I think we have to go back to uh, what we knew in the offseason. They wanted him then, right. and it just didn't work out financially for them to get him. Um, I, you know, With hindsight, you can argue they should have gone ahead and spent the money to get him, but they didn't really have the money. And I think that after you know making all those moves to free up enough cap space to bring in to make all the changes on the offensive line, I think they just didn't have the resources available yeah. uh, to to make that move. And uh, you know, so so when there came a situation where they could get him super cheap, who wouldn't pull that trigger in that situation? Uh, this is just a situation that 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 was very fortuitous for the Chiefs. And uh, and it made a, a huge difference. I, you know, I think I said this last week that if Ingram had been on the team, they probably wouldn't have uh, made, done quite as much with Chris Jones on this defensive end thing. I mean, I think they would have, you know, hinted about it and given him some extra snaps and stuff. But uh, just to keep the other defenses, uh, the other offenses guessing, that's what Spagnolo loves to do. But I don't think they would have done it nearly as much if Ingram had been on the team right from the beginning. So this Again, has all worked out really well. I want to just discuss the the impact on on Jones and and this is PFF grades, never the end all be all. But I just think it's it's interesting. Yeah. The three games prior to Ingram getting with the Chiefs, his defensive grade. This is Jones now, 50, 77, 56. Injecting Ingram into the lineup, Jones's defensive grades: eighty one eight against the Packers. 90.3 against Vegas, 82.9 against Dallas, and then 68.3 against Denver. A little bit of a down game still for Jones. You know, you never know what injuries, but really the trend right. there, John, if you're looking at a trend, yeah. it's mm-hmm. up. And so yeah. I just think the impact is is worth noting um, and and really throughout the whole line because if, if Ingram allows Jones to kick inside more and he's playing better, the rest of the line plays better, and then it helps your second level and your third level, and I think that's sure. a major part of what's been – right. Um, the Chiefs turnaround. Final thing from Reed. This is more funny than anything else. <laughs> he was asked about seeing a 20 play drive, which the Broncos had with no points. Has he ever seen anything like that before? And here were Reed's words. No, but I'm I'm glad I saw it. I, that was a that was a positive thing. So, for our, from our standpoint, it was a great you know fourth down stand by our by, by our defense and um, wouldn't have. Would have liked to have kept them back where they were, but uh, that's the way it rolled, and the guys didn't hang their heads on it. But uh, I'm glad we were able to keep them out there. I wasn't going to be the one on the call to re-raise my hand and tell Andy that he did <laughs> see something like it. But as was pointed out, there was a 20-play scoreless drive in the NFL, and it happened on November 13th, 2016, on the Alex Smith Chiefs playing the Carolina Panthers. 
Panthers had a a twenty play drive with no points before they they punted. So Reed actually has seen this before, John. Yeah, people were pretty upset while that was going on. Um, I personally think it's great if you can make the other team <laughs> take up eleven minutes of game time and not score. I think yeah. that's a great outcome. I don't see what the problem with that is. <laughs> I. Uh, I think this, and and I got to give Ethan Willinger, our new five things man, credit on this. And I, I thought this was an incredible point by him in his new five things article. No offense, John. I know you handed the torch to him. He, he did a fantastic. Yeah. You did a fantastic. He really job did. He in was the weeks leading, leading into your passing of the torch. But uh, Fangio coached like the Chiefs' offense would wake up, and Andy Reid didn't. We're going to get into our marinated takeaways um, in the next segment. But I, I just thought this was a tremendous takeaway and it goes back to that 20 play drive where you're having Vic Fangio come in and he's playing offensively like it's the old Chiefs like field goals can't be them and yeah it does beg the question like Vic have you watched any Chiefs games this year (laughs) because they can't score like they used to and Andy Reid knows it and and that was something that I'll point about. I'll talk about more after the break. And and it was my rapid reaction, and I have more thoughts on it. Is with Vic going for it on fourth down, he had an opportunity to kick for three points there, and he opted to go for it on fourth and two. Willie Gay, I believe it was, ended up being mm-hmm. unblocked yep. and was able to combine with Bolton. And that to me was a game changer because the defense is exhausted. You have an opportunity here to really score a touchdown. And if your defense, I'm sorry, if your defense, if you're the Broncos, if your defense is able to get off the field quickly on the next drive, Mm -hmm. and you just had the chiefs defense out for 20 plays, that's going to change things for the entire game. And they went for it on fourth and two. You got to get at least three out of there. I know that analytics people get crazed when Andy Reid kicks when it's fourth and two but there's a gut <laughs> in there to me that was yeah. the moment where mm-hmm. Vic should have turned to his gut and said let's get some points out of this and let's see if we can get right back on the field so all right those are the read takeaways for his monday afternoon press conference when we come back we will have marinated takeaways from this game you're listening to the arrowhead pride editors show well i'm gonna let this marinate You know, let that one marinate, and then we can circle back. Adapt. React. Readapt. Takes time. It takes years. (laughs) That's the takeaway. Back here on the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show, the Kansas City Chiefs are 8-4. and We are feeling good about them again. They control their destiny for having a home game. Not first round by but maybe that can come back to them uh, john i know yeah. you're gonna have the playoff picture coming at us pretty soon here we'll have that the rest of the way as we try to figure out the percentages on this thing but let's talk about this game let's dive deeper with our marinated takeaways john we'll start there with you what is your marinated takeaway your number one thing you've been thinking about the past few days well this is kind of uh, bears on our earlier conversation about chris jones i think there's no question about it Chris Jones is the defensive tackle of the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, you know, that experiment is now over. Now, they're not going to say so. You know, the Chiefs aren't going to announce, oh, yeah, defensive. We've now changed Chris Jones to defensive tackle on the roster. But he's been listed as a starter for a couple of weeks. He's back to the same percentage of snaps on the inside 
versus the outside that he was last year. Um, the experiment is now by everything but completely official means over. And I know that that'll make a lot of people happy. So I just want to make, make that point today in case you've been waiting for that to happen. It's happened. This, mm. this is a done deal. Now uh, the experiments over with Chris Jones. Yeah, I unfortunately agree, and, and not unfortunately that it's over, but unfortunately that I, I thought it was the best idea I had ever heard in the offseason. <laughs> <laughs> well, we managed I, to talk ourselves into it, didn't we? <laughs> I really did. I, you know, we, we make our bold predictions, which I haven't pulled up, but I'll tell you my bold prediction was that Chris Jones would break the sack record, and really I should have been looking at TJ Watt, who's going to do it with like 11 games played, it seems like. But uh, Chris Jones – yeah, is uh, is a much better defensive tackle. He actually has a much better chance of breaking the sack record as a defensive tackle. Clearly the number two guy in the league to Aaron Donald. I mean, it's just such a difference. And and now hindsight is twenty twenty here, John, but the Chiefs should have never considered it. I mean, they, they really should have never considered moving him from inside. And 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 I, I don't blame him. I, I liked the idea. I wasn't against it. It's not like I was raising my hands and being like, they're making the wrong call, but they tried it. And to their credit, and we said this with Brett Beach before, they cut their losses. They weren't cocky and, and didn't stick with it just because. And it's made a huge difference since they've decided to go back on their, their word there. Yeah, I, uh, I agree. It, this is the way it should have been all along. I think they would have, as I said before, I think they would have, played around with using Jones more often at defensive end uh, as a means to mess up opposing offenses. But I don't think it would have been something that Steve Spagnuolo would have been taking questions about at press conferences. It wouldn't have been the subject of articles on no. sites like ours. You know, what's it going to be like with Chris yes. Jones at defensive thank you, end? Thank you, you for know? the clicks, Steve. Yes, well, we, we appreciate had nothing that. to yeah. talk about. We appreciate yeah. it. <laughs> so yeah, we managed to take advantage of that deal, but um, you know, I just think it was not a best the best idea they had. No, but I think it may have been the the, the only idea that they had when they couldn't get Ingram, and they yeah. didn't see anybody else that they they could get that they thought would would be a positive uh, influence on them. So it's like, okay, well, we'll have to do this instead, and, we and were, it didn't we, work out. Remember, we were trying to look at the free agent market. I believe we we had talked for on numerous occasions about trying to round up the available defensive ends out there because this was a position they needed. Sure. Mm -hmm. I, you know, again, and, and it's not like he's made a huge difference, but probably keeping Tano Passigno was more important than anything else. It's probably the mistake they made, but there weren't a ton of options. That's and fair. Couldn't come to yeah. a, an agreement with, with Ingram. And then uh, they eventually got him. All right. En enough about Chris Jones. We've talked the nauseam. All right, let's go on to, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I just thought this was a huge part of the game, and I, I isolated it in my rapid reaction, and it's it stuck with me all the way into my marinated reaction. And and I want to want to give you just a, a a verbal description of what was happening in the press conference as I'm watching this. It, it gets to be 108 left in the second quarter, and I and the Chiefs get the ball, and I, I'm watching it. And I'm like, oh, they have two timeouts. And, in, and my brain is telling me, I'm at Arrowhead Stadium. I'm watching Patrick Mahomes. I'm watching Andy Reid in the offense. My brain is like, you know what? 108, two timeouts. This is the Legion of Zoom, baby. They're going to be going for it. They'll be throwing it downfield. They'll they'll be trying to, to score seven before halftime. And it, and it was like you, you, you see 
glass break. <laughs> you're, you're breaking the piggy bank. Your your brain is shattered in the sense that like that Chiefs isn't something that exists right now. They are not that version of of the team. And and I guess the theme is suddenly becoming cutting your losses on this show. But Andy Reid knows it. He knows that his offense is not there. So rather than risking another part of or another instance, I should say, where the ball is bouncing off your receiver's chest into the opposing team's hands, he decided to cut his losses, run the football, get into the locker room, and then maybe they'll try to push the ball down the field in the second half. This stinks. I, I, I hate that this is the Chiefs' current identity, but to me where it matters is, is it's not only the case, but the Chiefs have embraced that. And I don't know. There's something about that, and, and I don't necessarily disagree with them for embracing it, but there's something about it that leaves a bad taste in your mouth. And I just I haven't been able to get over that because you do still have Patrick Mahomes. And so mm-hmm. should you – it becomes the case, do you continue to try – to do that type of stuff and and i don't know i don't know what the answer is there either well it made you crazy i couldn't help but think when that was happening that nfl analytics people were going completely nuts (laughs) in that moment because you know a lot has been said about the chiefs electing to receive in the second half right and there's a there's a reason why it's not just random chance that you do better if you receive the ball in the second half. What's going on here is that the way position, uh, the way drives usually line up in an NFL game, the team that was on defense to begin the first half is usually on offense at the end of the first half, which means that you get two back-to-back possessions. This is the reason why you're statistically more likely to score more points and win more games if you defer to receive in the second half. So if that's why you're doing it, why waste that possession? You know, I mean, I I get it if they don't want to throw deep, you know, and expose uh, in a 20-mile-an-hour wind, expose uh, Mahomes to the potential of an interception downfield. I get that. But would it have been that hard to throw some some uh, wheel routes to a running back or a running back in the flat? That's a fairly high percentage. Yeah, you know what? And per- like, this is, reception. You it know, was 10-3. I mean, it was ten three, and this was a game where you saw Butker already make a fifty six yarder. So it's not even like yeah. you necessarily had to get to to yeah. a touchdown. You could have gotten what? What is that? Seventeen minus fifty six. You would you had to get there about to their forty, right? And yeah. give them an opportunity and. You you would had had left no time on the clock and you can make it a seven point game. I just I don't know. Yeah. There's something about it that made me think I don't know if this team is going to be able to win the AFC Championship. It was just such a moment, and I know that that people say defense wins championships. Not in 2021. It's the quarterback, and it, and if you've lost belief in your quarterback, then I'm just having a hard time believing he's going to be able to will the team to an AFC title. It it used to be defense wins championships. It it is quarterbacks. It's quarterbacks. Okay. All right. Okay. I'll just, I'll just say this, that this had been a championship game. We wouldn't have seen that happen. I think the team that the chiefs were playing entered into this calculation a little bit. 
like that they couldn't that, score. Yeah, I mean, I yeah. think they thought, you know, we've got the the Denver's uh, offense handled, so we don't really have to worry that we're only up by a touchdown at this point, and we don't have to take any risk at all. I think if they were playing against what they perceived as a better team that had a better chance to come back from a deficit, then maybe they would have made a different decision in that point. So, I, you know, I, I get the point you're making about the playoffs, but I think if it's been, if it had been the playoffs, they would have made a different decision. So if this is the bills. Of the Char- that That's a fair point. But if this is the bills of the Chargers, you got to go there. Uh, you know, to me, right. because you right. know, you're watching yeah. the Chargers as they're scoring 40 points on the Bengals and, and yeah. the Bills, we know, scored points on the Chiefs, too. So, all right, let's go to your next man. I to take away, John. Um, well, this is uh, something that uh, I noticed in the snap counts and didn't write about it. Um, the uh, Chiefs actually ran the ball more often uh, on Sunday than they typically do. Um, they had a 50% Uh, 56% of their plays were passes. That's the lowest it's been since week four this year. Now, you know, you're typically talking about the difference between 55% and 61%. It's not a huge difference, but the chiefs did run the ball more on Sunday than they have tended to do over the course of the season. And, um, you know, it didn't help them score that many more points. But it was something that people have been clamoring for, for the Chiefs to run the ball more often uh, because they're having so many other problems on the offense. And in in theory, uh, it gives you a better chance to make those big plays with Patrick Mahomes as your quarterback. So they took a step that direction uh, in this game, but, uh, but not a big one, not a really big one. Yeah, it needs to be balanced. Uh, it needs to be more balanced. I, I I caution people from ever thinking it's going to be 50-50. Yeah. 65-35, 60-40 would be nice consistently. I think that could change the game for you in a positive way. Uh, you know, when do you run it? Do you always run it on first down? I think you leave that up to the coaching staff. But at the end of the game, if it's around 60-40-ish, uh, I think you're going to start to see a little bit more of the passing game open, open up. It's these games where the Chiefs get into this – habit of just throwing it that you're you're seeing it impact and and defenses are are just sitting back uh my next marinated takeaway is when dan is not your starting free safety he's a pretty good player um (laughs) i think we have to admit that when he's your third safety and you're and you're seeing him in in a nickel and dime looks mostly more dime looks uh and he's able to be in the box and or you know as a slot corner type of, of role Um, this is a guy who really dives into film. And I think in, in doses in the right spots, pretty good reserve player. It's when you have an injury or Mm -hmm. he's starting when there's a talent like Juan Thornhill also had an interception in this game. Um, That's when you, you you say enough of Dan Sorensen. Now I feel stronger about Sorensen than I do Ben Neiman. I think the chiefs can do better than Ben Neiman, even for reserve player. Not that I dislike the guy, great guy. I, you know, I just feel like they can get a much more athletic linebacker. Dan Sorensen is a pretty good 48 to 53 type of, of player. And he just was put in a bad spot. 
And I, I like his quote where he says that he listens to zero, watches zero social media, but <laughs> previous to him coming to the podium, Andy Reid and Tyron Matthew were kind of saying, yeah, he heard the criticism. Like, you know, <laughs> okay, both can't be true, everybody. Am I crazy? Am I going insane here? But kudos to Dan. And I think he deserves recognition because I think he is a good reserve defensive back. Um, it's, and, and he's all right for a spot start or two. It's the, it's the right. starting position that he, right. he shouldn't be. And that wasn't really up to him. I'm sure he would take it right. Cause he wants to be a starter, but he's not. And that's the coaching staff's fault. And so it's another hindsight thing. I, I understand that, but I was happy for Dan and you could tell that Dan was happy. He's never going to be someone to gloat or even talk about anything, but the dance tells you enough actions. Yeah. Louder than words <laughs> doing the, the, Coach Prime Dion thing into the end zone. Good for good for Sorensen to get that off his back. You know, it's interesting. Uh, if there was more institutional memory in football teams, maybe we wouldn't have seen this happen at the beginning of this season. Because it's not the first time that we've seen Daniel Sorensen thrust into a starting role as a result of an injury to another player, and the results were not good. Okay, we've seen this. He's been here. It's his eighth season in Kansas City now, I think. Mm -hmm. And when Eric Berry was injured, he was out. out he was out there alongside uh, another safety who was okay when Berry was in there. And the two of them were terrible together. It's Ron not Parker. like we. Yeah, it's not like we haven't seen this before. Okay, but it wasn't while Spagnuolo was here, and we know yeah. that Spagnuolo really likes Sorensen because of the work that he puts in. Uh, in film study and how smart he is. And so it's hard to be critical of, of Spagnolo to, to recognize that and give him an opportunity to start when an injury makes that possible. And that's what we had going on with Thornhill. Yeah. Um, you know, there was a serious question about whether he was a hundred percent back when this season began. And I think those two things added up to Sorensen getting the starting role for uh, the first part of the season. And I know people are upset, and you made reference to this earlier. I know people are upset that the Chiefs didn't make the change sooner, that they didn't go, oh, my God, we got to get Sorensen out of there because he's, he's terrible, um, and put Thornhill back in there. But I personally am glad that when the Chiefs <laughs> make a decision like this, they stick with it for a while. Yeah. Um, and they don't just they don't just go crazy. You know, if somebody has a bad game that they take him out of there and put another guy in, mm. it take it takes some time for them to come to that kind of decision. And I'm really okay with that. I know a lot of people aren't. I know a lot of people think the NFL is a is a complete meritocracy and nothing matters more than your most recent game. And if your most recent game was terrible, you should be out of there. That's the yeah. end. You're out on the bench, pal. I don't, I don't see it that way. I think that you have, if you're a coach, you have to care about how your players feel so that they will give their best for you. And I think if you treat grown men that way, they don't feel that way. So I'm, I'm glad the chiefs do it that way. I'm, I think I might be in a minority. Yeah. <laughs> I think you were speaking but, to your minority. But I, but that's how I feel, though. So All after, right. you know. <laughs> we have to get to the best Chiefs thing um, I, I heard all week. And we will one second. My final quick takeaway here is, Josh Gordon, you let me down. They, they took away your snaps. 
what did you have? You had four games to try to prove me right. Yeah. Uh, and and I thought you were going to be an asset. And uh, it seems like your opportunity has gone away pending injury. I, I don't I think they're going to try to as we were just alluding to, John, they're going to give Byron Pringle now a few games now that they've made that call. And we'll see what Pringle does with the opportunity. Sorry, Josh. And sorry to me for believing in you. All right. Let's get to the best Chiefs thing <laughs> we heard all week. Hey, listen, now, don't slight any win in the NFL, man. You enjoy this one, but you only got like a second to do it. So we, we wrap, wrap it back up on Tuesday, normal schedule on Tuesday, get you back in. Take care of yourselves uh, tonight. And then again, congratulations, man. Oh, that was a good one. Doggone, that was a good one. All right, how about those so, you, you You have Andy Reid there, and the reason I brought this one up, and it, it's – not that I actually like it necessarily because I just made my point about them needing their quarterback to play better if they're going to be a championship team. But I, I think it's just to remind fans what is being said inside that locker room. We get a rare glimpse of them actually showing what is truly said to among the team. The Chiefs don't put that stuff out a lot. A yeah. little bit on their mm-hmm. franchise series. Not a ton really in the locker room. And I know it's 30 seconds, but his message to the team was we're not going to slight wins in the National Football League. So this to me internally, and Sorensen was alluding to it too a little bit, is believing in itself. And tr- I think they do understand that they're they're buying time in a sense and they need to play better. Now, that being said, they're very happy with the victory. I like I don't I think Patrick Mahomes would love to be an MVP again, but if they're scoring more points than the other team is. They're fine, you know, at this stage. This this could be the ugliest team that we've ever seen. If they win all the games, including the Super Bowl, they are not going to care that that he ended up with a line in the AFC Championship that's one touchdown, two picks. If it ends up being like three Clyde or two, you know, one two Clyde, one Daryl touchdown, for example. Mm-hmm. And so I, I like it because it's just a reminder that they're still content with themselves and in a good spirit, if you will. Shout out to Eric Berry. We've mentioned it a few times now. Um, whereas it could be the alternative at this point. Yeah, I I, I completely agree. I, I'm I'm continue to be very impressed with the way Andy Reid handles these kinds of situations, the way he handles his team, the way he communicates to his team, the way they should approach their business, and how they respond to that. And you know, we get occasionally a look at what he says after a victory like this and you can see it more clearly i i love the way andy reed handles his team and that goes back to the big rant i was making a minute ago <laughs> is right. that this is part of it you know this is all part of the same and deal and he does a good job with it it's important to remember too just how hard it is to win in the nfl and this mm-hmm. stat came out after the five game winning streak again the chiefs have had a five game winning streak every year even the year they didn't make the playoffs. That's crazy. You know, if, if you think yeah. about that compared to the times before and even dating back to like 2000-ish and even before that, that consistency of being a playoff team is hard to do. I mean, you even look at the San Francisco 49ers after they lost the Super Bowl to the Chiefs. They fell off the map. And I, I know that they had a ton of injuries, but the Chiefs have had injuries in years and they're still able to make the postseason and win win five games in a row. Like that very very hard and to to get your team back on a horse when you're struggling deserves some attention yep absolutely well. yeah all right we went over of course sorry steve thank you for listening to us on the airhead <laughs> pride editor show we really appreciate it if you enjoy the show 
uh, please leave us a, a rating and a review coming up uh, on the show this week on the podcast network this week. We'll be back with our arrowhead drive on Wednesday. Uh, the great British chief show will be taking their first look at what is the Las Vegas Raiders. Once again, we're, we're entering the first repeat customer of the season on Sunday. We'll continue with our interview series and show and BK on the chiefs uh, previewing this uh, uh, game. It'll just be Steve and Ron this week as Brandon Kylie is getting married. I'm actually oh. going to St. Louis for the wedding on what is Saturday. And I'm driving back to Arrowhead at 6 a.m. So if you don't see tweets from me on Sunday, it means I am late and I'm hoping <laughs> that does not happen. BK, why did you make your wedding before a Chiefs Raiders game? What are we doing? All right. Anyway, that's all to look forward to on the Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network this week. For Steve Serta, for Don Dixon, I'm Pete Sweeney. Thank you for listening to another edition of the Arrowhead Pride Editors Show.